0: Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie
1: Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and in this episode of Chick Flicks, we're talking about the movies Lizzie and The Handmaiden.
0: But first, let's catch up. So what are you into, Bridget? Mackenzie, I'll (laughs)
1: tell you what I'm into. I'm into two different TV shows that are about people in extreme circumstances. The first is Big Little Lies, which has an all-star cast, and it's about, um, if you haven't seen it or heard of it, you live under some sort of hole, (laughs) uh, in a hole, I guess, (laughs) more correct um about a group of women in monterey california who have extreme interpersonal conflicts and spend most of the tv show driving around in their cars and talking to people in the backseat of the car uh and then the other tv show is the terror which came out last year and it's a horror anthology and the first season is about um it's based on the real life expedition of these uh british sailors i guess to the arctic to explore it and they were never seen again and this tv show uh, posits that they were tracked and killed by a mystical creature in the Arctic. And then the other thing that I'm into last week, I went to the movies and I saw this film by Joanna Hogg, who is a British filmmaker. She made her first movie at uh, her first feature length film at age 42, which I think is like super inspiring. And this is her like third or fourth film. She's now 60, and it's an auto fictional look back at her time as. A film student in the early '80s and falling in love um, with this heroin addict, and it's kind of about both her fledgling career as a filmmaker, which, as like a director, you have to be like completely in control and have a vision, and then her own personal life contrasted with that, where there's like a total lack of control, and she's kind of like ceding large parts of herself um, to this relationship that's uh, dependent on an addicted man. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. I did fall asleep. The very first 30 minutes of the show, the movie, um, which I feel terrible about. (laughs) I've never done that before. It's okay.
0: and just, you needed the rest.
1: I did. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. The movie theater was super dark. The seats were very uncomfortable. I felt like pretty fucked up afterwards. Um, (laughs) And then I felt so embarrassed that I thought I was going to leave when I woke up because I was like, did other people see me just like fall asleep? (laughs) And is it even worth it to watch this movie if I did not watch the first 35 minutes? But I enjoyed it.
0: Good i yeah. i definitely want to see it. i think it's already streaming possibly oh so i cool. might check that out um and i definitely want to catch up with big little eyes and the terror definitely sounds like something i'd like so I
1: yeah wanna... the terror was awesome i think he would like it i said to tim i bet you are surprised that i am willing to watch a tv show about men <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you into mackenzie so, I'm surprisingly into Good Omens, the TV show on Amazon. I thought I wasn't going to like it because it looks a little hokey. And a lot of the Terry Pratchett adaptions I'm not super into. I mean, they're all sort of fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I love Terry Pratchett. And I love Neil Gaiman. And they co-wrote Good Omens. So, I don't know why mm-hmm. I was so skeptical about me liking it. But I really like it. <laughs> um, the chemistry between the two leads is really great and there's a lot of like sharp lines that i like so mm-hmm. which i mean i should expect from neil Heyman who wrote the show so um and then my the second thing i'm into is this podcast called flash forward and it's about uh futurism or like imagining what the future can be based on science like real science that's happening right now mm-hmm. um and uh, the woman who is the host kind of acknowledges that our idea of a futurist is like this guy and like a like basically like a Steve Jobs type character doing a TED talk is like what we think of as a futurist but mm. it could really be like anyone and she's really good at bringing in a diverse uh, group of people to talk about the difference not si- like science that's being done because it's a diverse group of people that's creating the science so sure um and Every episode, she starts with a fictional sketch that is inspired by the science that she'll be talking about. Um, and I feel like any good science fiction, it's really good at sparking the imagination, imagination, especially when it's something that's like rooted in reality and things that are actually happening. It's pretty exciting to hear. Um, Can you I- give an example of like one of the topics she covers? So. Uh, she, one of her most recent ones was, um, she did a series about bodies and one of them was talking about how, um, these two scientists that created bots that talked like their fathers, their dead fathers. Oh. So it was kind of like a ghost bot a little bit. Um, oh, wow. That's sad. so it was, she interviewed those two scientists her engineers I guess and then she talked to a bunch of other people that were like studying it and the like morals and ethics around it and the sketch at the beginning was <coughs> about <Excuse me. laughs> <bless you. laughs> was about um one of the friends in the sketch like had died and they were talking with her ghost spot and oh it was just That's and like one sad. of the friends in the circle was like super a- anyway it's like really good another one was about like night vision and how this guy like turned chlorophyll into like these eye drops that were enabled him to see infrared light because technically chlorophyll is like letting in light for like plants Mm -hmm. like they let in light and turn it into energy but if you yeah so that's very cool quick examples Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's really good um and then my third thing that i'm into is a video game called what remains of edith finch and it's i know there are a lot of Like jokes or whatever about like watching boys play video games but i feel like this type of video game it's called a walking simulator is good to like participate in with other people like it's a really good game to play play like have one person be the person that's actually playing and then a bunch of people or just one other person like watch it But What Remains of Edith Finch, it follows a 17-year-old girl who's revisiting her childhood home that she left when she was 11. And after the death of her mother, she goes back for the first time. And it's like this crazy-looking house on an island Mm. in the Pacific Northwest in, like, the middle of the woods. Like, you have to, like, walk across this crazy bridge to get to it. Um, it's like overlooking a cliff and it has like a bunch of houses like stacked on top of it. It's, it's just really cool. It's like pretty spooky, but also like emotionally affecting. So, um, I recommend that.
1: It has a very good spooky name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Are
1: the graphics good?
0: Yeah. It's like, um, it's pretty unique, I would say in the way it uses like, uh like story like words i guess because like the words sometimes will be like floating and you like interact with them in a Ooh. way that is i think i mean i haven't seen that but i haven't played that many video games so mm-hmm. um but yeah and and there's a lot of like details that are really cool so mm-hmm. the house is just so interesting to look at yeah
1: cool that's awesome we read an article on Vulture called How Do You Choreograph a Good Queer Sex Scene? Six T V creators and filmmakers explain. Um, that kind of touch base with a, a bunch of different people from the show Special to the miseducation of Cameron Post to Pose, which is on Netflix right now, um Port and a few other Vita. Yeah, Vita. Um, kind of just about how like how you can choreograph a sex scene in a way that feels realistic. Um keeping in mind, like, actors' boundaries mm-hmm. and uh, just, like, furthers the story in, like, a meaningful way. And I, mm-hmm. I thought it was a good read before our discussion of these two movies because they do contain queer sex scenes.
0: Yeah. I loved specifically in the article when they were talking about the miseducation of Cameron Post and the way that the director of that movie filmed the sex scene there, which is between two teenagers. Um, she kind of let them do their own thing that the sex scene is in a car and she sort of like let them do their own thing and the whole crew went inside the school where the car was parked uh in the parking lot of the school so the whole crew went into the school and i was like i just thought that was pretty respectful of the actors and their choices and mm-hmm. uh we'll talk about this later but park chan wook does the same thing for the handmaiden he only had one other crew member w- in the room w- with the sex scene in that movie so thought that was like pretty respectful um and then the other thing that i liked was the um director talking about port authority i think which i haven't seen but Mm. i think it's a movie and it's about a uh trans woman and a cisgendered man and them having sex and the um actress who plays the woman um is really trans in real life which is great um but the way that he talks about the way he consulted her and exactly like the director consulted her and like was like i want to talk about your experiences so i can like frame it around that and was like he seemed super thoughtful in the way he was just like thinking about the sex scene which i thought was great because a lot of times like in like I feel like queer or even just like regular sex scenes, it's not like the act the director will like take into account how the actor is feeling or anything mm-hmm. like that. So
1: Yeah. Uh if they're like pretty uh one sided with their vision, I think yeah. that's really important and interesting. And I was saying uh before that like this is important too because there are many people whose first exposure to sex is through watching it on tv and uh in films Mm -hmm. uh so i especially think for queer sex it's important um you know just thinking of your audience where there are many people who are queer or are straight that Mm -hmm. don't really know what it's like um Mm -hmm. and so i think there's kind of a responsibility there in um being honest and respectful
0: so the other um thing in that article that the, the filmmaker of the movie uh wild nights with Emily* about emily dickinson um like a teenage version like teenage her um uh-huh. and she was saying she wanted to really see a like a g-rated lesbian movie which i think is another mm. re- like thing it's like Kids should see, like, yeah. lesbian love on screen, I think. That's so true. So that's so true. I liked that she said that because it is, like, you're you're right, like, the way that most people could first become, like, aware of, if not, like, the relationships that their parents uh, uh-huh. model, like, other relationships that they might mm-hmm. relate to. They'll more.
1: see it on TV, and that's yeah. totally, like, natural.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's what I think makes...
1: I think particularly the handmaiden special, but we'll get into that, is that it's a story I personally haven't seen before um, told like this. But anyway, (laughs) we'll talk about the other movie first, which is Lizzie. Um, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. So goes the famous rhyme about the possible 19th century murderess Lizzie Borden. While no one knows for sure if the real Lizzie Borden did kill her stepmother and father... The tw- 2018 film Lizzie presents audiences with a compelling case for why her folks deserved all those whacks. Lizzie, as played by Chloe Sevigny, is headstrong but stuck in a house with her overbearing father and terrible stepmother. She develops an unlikely friendship, and then romance, with the family's Irish maid, Bridget. After their affair is discovered by Lizzie's father, who is also scheming to write his daughters out of his will, Lizzie is left with no choice but to take up her iconic axe. Um, so I guess just a little background here based on a true story obviously <laughs> no one knows if lizzie borden did kill her parents um she was acquitted of the murder but most pop culture about lizzie kind of assumes that she did
0: mm-hmm. um and this movie does as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i didn't like this movie <laughs> I
1: didn't like this movie either, and Mackenzie texted me the other day, like, how is Handmaiden a full hour longer than Lizzie, and yet Lizzie will not end, <laughs> you know? Like, it's so yeah. true. This movie was so freaking long, and
0: not like Not so really. Boring. It wasn't actually long. It was only yeah, an hour and 42 for minutes. It soul. just, like, nothing happened. <laughs> it was just, nothing like, happened. full of a lot of unnecessary boring things
1: (laughs) yeah so i cannot but be tempted and reimagine this film in a totally different format or with like a different um chronological pacing where maybe Mm -hmm. they could have done it as a trial movie with flashbacks you know and Mm -hmm. kind of made the trial more dramatic or more pivotal um Mm -hmm. and seen everything uh through flashbacks like with a person on stand or whatever Mm -hmm. but instead they kind of have this really slow burn build up. cuts to the parents being dead. And then the last 10 minutes of the movie show the murders um, yeah. being committed. Yeah. And it feels
0: anti-climatic that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that is building up to it, to what seems to build, tr- be attempting to build motivation behind Lizzie killing her parents mm-hmm. seems very like forced and like, yes, genuine and just not there's no like passion behind it at all
1: for sure um we read this uh person's review in them naveen kumar uh and i think the filmmakers really did want this movie to kind of be like a fuck yeah girl power Mm -hmm. feminism film but to Mm -hmm. me it just was so it did not ring true at all and didn't even really make sense but this writer says i'm talking about the the father who Is abusive towards sexually abusive towards Bridget the maid and uh, trying to write Lizzie and her sister out of his will. He says that Andrew's eventual murder is not just framed as revenge for his repeated raping of Bridget, though it certainly is that, but more broadly for the dehumanization of women that his patriarchal power perpetuates. Um, And that to me just seems so uh, like false. I think (sighs) framing one woman not being able to inherit. Her thousands and thousands of dollars, as like a feminist struggle, um, <laughs> just doesn't seem accurate to me. And mm-hmm. Chloe Sevigny's performance is so remote and like inscrutable that you're never really sure, like why, what is the real, what is the real reason, you know, that she is forced to do this.
0: Yeah, it uh, and it 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 does. Like I said, it wants you to think. And seven even has said in, like, interviews that we've read and will link to that mm-hmm. she wanted them to gain strength from each other. Like, the two characters. She, yeah, she wanted to have it be, like, two damaged people that, like, can gain strength from each other. And just, like, are mm-hmm. basically, like, a love story that has triumph at the end of it. And that was, like, not what... That didn't yeah. come through. Like they did. Like they mm-hmm. had no chemistry and it did seem like even though they were trying to have that be the motivation, her, the motivation did still seem to me like it was the inheritance.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, the love story felt really underbaked, um, especially when we're going to compare it to The Handmaiden. Um, and I was just thinking about how both of these movies have kind of similar uh, setups or like tropes for like a lesbian love story, um, which is that it's between a servant And, uh, like their employer and Mm -hmm. there's like an abusive father figure as well. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about how it bothers me less with the handmaiden because those characters both have something that the other person needs Mm -hmm. or, you know, like they compliment each other Mm -hmm. and that like Suki is like street smart Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, uh, knows about the outside world Mm -hmm. and, uh, Lady Hideko is wealthy and like has money and power that way Mm -hmm. here. It just feels so lopsided Mm -hmm. that... It almost feels like more workplace harassment that, like, Lizzie would have this relationship with Bridget, who's already being raped by the father. Right. Um,
0: And they never seem that into it or into each other. Yeah. It seems like almost, like, Bridget is being, it it definitely seems like Bridget's being taken advantage of. I mean, like, she has no friends. She's being, like, raped nightly by the father. And then Lizzie sort of, like, I don't know feeds off that um, vulnerability i guess and it's mm -hmm. like at one point lizzie her father confronts her after he sees uh lizzie and bridget having sex in the barn and uh he says you're an abomination and she says well we're on equal footing so it's kind of acknowledges that they're both not it's fucked up (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, and so the two actresses who play the lead leads are Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart and I'm a very big Kristen Stewart fan I really haven't seen that much with Chloe Sevigny and mm-hmm. this is like her first leading role really which is crazy um, to me it feels like it is crazy Cause it's because she's like such a brand person like she's always doing I feel like she's more almost more fashion oriented than film oriented or like I, guess. Film I mean, but stuff. I've,
0: I've like I was reading that too, but I do think of an, her as an actor first. But then I think, yeah. oh, what she's been, what has she been in? And I'm like, wait, I don't know.
1: You know, she was in it's Zodiac.
0: Weird. I know, but and like American like, Psycho, very minor. and like, but she's always just like a.
1: Oh yeah, she was in American so, Psycho too. I think this is her third Chloe Sevigny film. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't weird. know. She's always just sort of like a uh, supporting like, player. Yeah, supporting role.
1: Um, Katie Walsh in Los Angeles Times writes that Lizzie is a film that takes its subject matter so seriously, it's drained of all salaciousness, despite the salacious nature of the story. The rumored lesbian affair with maid Bridget Sullivan, the gruesomeness of the deaths, the power struggles over money and property, the combination of it girls, Savenya and Stewart on screen is so utterly cool, it's ice. And in some ways, the film could use a little warming up. And I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think if this movie had leaned into Lizzie being a villain... Like, even if she's just, like, feel like even if there's, like, feminist undertones or, like, she's trying to, like, claim what is hers, I think they could have leaned into Lizzie being a villain and it would have made this movie infinitely more fun to watch, you yeah.
0: know? No, I agree. Or done the opposite and tried to prove that she's innocent,
1: which I yeah, think which, would be another
0: fresh take. Yeah, because there's other, like,
1: two other movies about I this. I think
0: they tried to do a bunch of thing, different things that would build... Lizzie into like a full person. Like they tried to have her show like her caring about animals. They tried to show her like
1: going mm-hmm. to the theater. They
0: tried to show her with Bridget. Like I feel like all those things were trying to show like add layers to her character, but it all seems so forced and it all seems so obvious and not tied together at all. That it never worked to create like a cohesive picture of a real person and. That's why I think the film failed.
1: Um, Something else important uh, that the movie kind of like uses um, is obviously a work of fiction and speculates a lot. But David Edelstein in his Vulture Review points out that um, in the movie, they make it seem like Lizzie's parents rename Bridget. They're like, just start calling her Maggie, which is kind of like a more ubiquitous Irish name. But in real life, Lizzie also called her Maggie. And, like, had erased her identity. And there's a very good chance that she kind of, like, coerced Maggie into testifying for her. Mm -hmm. Which is a fucked up layer. Is it, like, Mm -hmm. is it a love story? Or is this just, like, a weird misunderstanding?
0: Yeah. And I think, like, if you take that into consideration, then it makes the, like, relationship between them even more suspect. Like, the romantic relationship between Uh them. Like, it already seems sketchy when we're, like, just watching it without knowing, like, with her calling her Bridget and not Maggie, but watching it, knowing that in real life she called her Bridget, or Maggie, sorry. (laughs) Uh, So strange. I didn't know that people did that, though. Like, called Irish maids Maggie. Yeah. I guess that was a thing. I didn't know. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. What did you think
1: of the sex scene?
0: I thought it was fine but a lot of people like the director was like we shot it this way so that it wouldn't be voyeuristic but there's literally the dad watching through the window so it's like
1: the definition
0: of voyeuristic he also said he shot with a wide lens which in my opinion is like the voyeuristic lens so
1: yeah it just was I mean (laughs) again it just comes back to the actress's chemistry to me just seems um, non-existent like I will defend Kristen Stewart to the death but she did not do very much for me in this movie
0: i was listening to the crime junkie podcast episode about this this week in preparation for this episode and um they say that it likely the family was being poisoned before (gasps) the actual murder took place and lizzie was seen buying poison like (laughs) a few days before lizzie and uh, her attorneys or whatever that were arguing for her argued that they were like, yeah, she was buying poison, but that's a whole different thing. Like, if she was poisoning them, she that doesn't mean she was murder, like axe murdering them.
1: Like, <laughs> actually, that holds up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they, were, they were like, don't just because the she was poisoning them doesn't mean she was trying to kill them with an axe. <laughs>
1: yeah, I wonder if we have such a, a fascination with Lizzie is be, like because she's like one of the only famous like murderesses even though she is not accused murderesses. So.
0: probably and because patricide i feel like is super and because it's an axe like yeah that's true i feel like all all three of those things meet make a,
1: interesting... a super storm um uh i do know that they one of the reasons they acquitted her was that they could not just they couldn't imagine a woman committing such a violent crime right because her
0: i mean it was like a jury all fall fall.
1: All men. All men. Yeah. Yeah. I did kind of roll my eyes when they showed that at the end of the movie. Like, a jury of all men. I'm like, no shit. Like, ever- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what What year was this? You know? Like, I don't know. I think this movie just tried too hard to kind of, like, be about girl power uh, or try to recast the the history of Lizzie Borden. Yeah. In this weird light. Uh, it was directed by a man. Written by a man. Chloe Sevigny kind of stressed in many interviews. How many women were involved. And she's a producer. Mm-hmm. But I it's, just. Mm.
0: It's sort of sad that. like, In reading those interviews with Chloe. She said that. There were a lot of scenes. They shot with. Mm-hmm. More scenes with Lizzie and her stepmother. And mm-hmm. Lizzie and um, Bridget. Or her sister. And they were, a lot of them were cut. And yeah. Chloe was definitely disappointed in that. Um, but the director was like, that's just what happens. And Chloe was like, that's just what happens. But it sounded like she sort of regretted. She, she said that she had tried to find a woman to direct it. Mm-hmm. But that she saw The Boy, which oh, yeah. was some, the previous film by Craig the director. And she liked it so much that she was like, I think he can do it.
1: Yeah, I just wish this movie had been done a little differently, and it's kind of like a disappointing movie to watch because of that. Um,
0: I did like the cinematography, like I liked the lighting. The, the sound design. design is really interesting. Yeah, um,
1: I kind of wish Chloe Sevigny had dyed her hair brunette because Lizzie is kind of an iconic brunette.
0: And not a blonde
1: woman, but... Agree.
0: Where's the brunette representation?
1: <laughs> I know. We just are kidding. under... Yeah, just, just joking. Um, so, uh, this movie was actually kind of hard to find some one-star reviews for, but the one I did find that I really spoke to me, it just... Chef's kiss. It, it just... It was like a light, a beaming light fell upon <laughs> this comment on Amazon. Uh, the, com- the review of this movie is one star, and it simply says, poop movie. Poop movie. <laughs> So, I I think you can pretty much surmise what this person thought of this film. I would, you know, I think the shortness of the review, the lack of punctuation, says to me that... We
0: basically said the same thing, but took
1: 30 30 minutes. minutes,
0: (laughs) Poop movie, don't
1: recommend. I give it three stars. (laughs) Three out of (laughs) ten.
0: I I agree. I'm giving it... I can't... I'm giving it three stars. I can't recommend anyone to watch this. Like, it's just not worth the time. I'm sorry, Chloe, but... Sorry, Chloe. Sorry,
1: Kristen. I'll support you in other films made by women. Hey yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, now on to a movie we did like. The
0: Handmaiden is... Was made in 2016. <laughs> Suki is a small time pickpocket. Pick, Suki is a small time pickpocket who dreams of riches and stability. Lady Hidako is a lonely Japanese heiress who lives under the cruel control of her perverse uncle. They are brought together by the scheming of Count Fujiwara, who is manipulating both women in an effort to claim Lady Hidako's wealth. Park Chan Wook's *The Handmaiden* is the story of a lady and her servant falling in love and destroying the men who sought to ruin their lives. Hell I yeah! I freaking love this movie. It's this like one movie of my was great.
1: Movies. First time watching it, heard heard so much about it, mostly about the sex scenes being quite, mm-hmm. quite explicit in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not even that explicit. I think people just get like really excited when women have sex in movies. I
0: I think. Well, this is like my this is my third time watching this movie. Mm-hmm. I first saw it. Um, this is actually kind of a funny story. I first saw it in theaters Whoa. for my birthday when it first came out, and it. Um, was a really small theater Oh God! it was like one that could fit like 10 people and i was sick so i kept coughing but i kept trying to hold it in so i kept being like <laughs> for like 15 minutes oh, straight no. i should have just left but do you think was, people like, thought that you were crying i no. i think they were just i think they probably knew what, what i was trying to do but it was horrible anyway yeah. the, i remember after i first saw, got out of this movie i knew that i really really liked it but i did have some reservations about the sex sure. scene um, because I'm just wary of any like male director filming a, f- a lesbian sex scene, just yeah. because it's so. I feel like wary, pretty much ever after the blue is the warmest color, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so true. I'm just like very like skeptical every time I see it. But mm-hmm. I loved the movie, regardless of my reservations about that. And then every time I have watched it since then, I kind of grow it grows on me more and more mm-hmm. um and we get it get into more of why i think that later
1: yeah and like not trying to like boost up park chan wook um but he the movie is based on a, a novel called fingersmith by sarah waters who's like mm-hmm. a lesbian writer mm-hmm. uh he co-wrote it with a woman named seo Kyung Jung, uh, who helped write the screenplay? And apparently, they consulted a friend of hers who was a queer woman. It still makes you think, like, why doesn't wasn't the queer woman just like more involved? Why was not this movie mm-hmm. made by a queer woman? But mm-hmm. I think he did have a lot of healthy respect for the actresses, the story, mm-hmm. and the central mm-hmm. love story. Um, yeah, in and the
0: movie. like like I said, he like was he decided to have the sex scenes shot in the beginning because he just wanted to get it over with because he didn't want everyone to be stressed out about it and he made everyone leave the room except for like one lady who was holding the boom mic and it just seemed like he was like pretty respectful of the women the actors that were Mm -hmm. filming it
1: so the plot of this movie is Suki is kind of hired by this head con man Count Fujiwara to become the handmaiden of this lady Lady Hideko who lives alone in this, like, estate with her creepy uncle who forces her to read um, erotic literature to his creepy friends. Um, and so it kind of has, like, there's parallels to to Lizzie in that it's between a servant and her employer, and there's a creepy guy. Um, but and I that think... they
0: both try and send her to the, an asylum, in the same, like, send in the her away to yeah. an asylum. But which I lady... also think is a trope that is in a lot of, like, at least women, like... like develop or feeling sexual pleasure yeah that's like a theme yeah for sure
1: um this movie though has such a more cathartic kind of rebellion against uh the patriarchy and, and the men in the movie um the film is structured in three acts one is from the perspective of suki one is from the perspective of lady hideko and then they both kind of realize that they're being played by count fujiwara and they team up because they're in love to take down both the count and her uncle um and so there's this scene where suki realizes that lady her lady has been like forced since childhood to read this pornographic material and her rage on her behalf is so Beautiful and like touching, she goes around Mm. like destroying all the books and like throwing them into the water, and Mm. it's just one of, um, it's just one of many moments that made me think about. And I mean this in a good way. I would never use fan fiction as like a a way to, a comparison to demean something because I I love fan fiction. That this movie reminded me of fan fiction, and that it's this great story. Uh, where a lot of fan fiction like tries to queer established narratives, mm-hmm. um, and this movie to me like all of the small details of them falling in love seemed like it could be out of a fan fiction, you know,
0: mm-hmm. uh, in the best way. I think like, well, I think in like fan fiction, it's like fan fiction distills a narrative into the little moments that mm. make people like squeal and like yes are like make people like giddy and just are like purely about like the relationship yeah and I think that this movie is successful and not like and why like the sex scene works and everything works is because of those little moments and because of like the humor between the two characters and just they're like friend they're also friends and it takes the movie takes the time and care to establish that Mm -hmm. in in a really caring caring way it's so yeah tendered.
1: it's so it's so sweet they have such great chemistry um yeah. gia tolentino of the new yorker wrote a great article called the handmaiden and the freedom women find only with one another which is pretty much why i love the movie yeah. um she <laughs> writes that their relationship builds through flashes of fetishistic typology the two women are alternately baby and mother master and servant doll and child and doubles of each other in one scene suki bathes hideko you're my baby miss she says watching her suck on a dark lollipop When Hideko complains of a sharp tooth, Suki runs for a thimble, and when she files the tooth down, it shifts the sexual tone of the encounter. Hideko is slack-jawed and submissive, both of them concentrating on Suki's finger moving in and out of Hideko's mouth. Sex is an essential tool in each character's deception, but the women, unlike the men, are wrenching themselves towards self-actualization. Uh, Suki and Hideko try to deceive each other. They work themselves into a position to be vulnerable. Their role play ends up activating reserves of emotional instinct and physical lust. Um, which is so true. This movie, for Sex for the Women, is like almost like a rebellion. Especially for mm-hmm. Hideko, who's grown up reading these pornographic materials mm-hmm. in which women are like acted upon. And then she mm-hmm. basically gets to recreate them in the bedroom with Suki, but in a more mm-hmm. empowering, um, pleasurable way for herself.
0: Right. It's like and I think it's kind of like an apt metaphor to like the male gaze in general mm. and just how like all women are like we all grow up seeing ourselves sexualized and mm-hmm. kind of like what that does to our brain, it's like Yeah. I think that it's something that we do need to like reclaim, I guess, and why not use it for our own pleasure, you know? It's like Mhm.
1: Yeah. And that's something Gia Tolentino also writes that she says Park is deft at extracting the particular sense of silly freedom that can be found in enacting a sexual cliche. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what comes across in these scenes with these women. You know, like if they weren't giggling, if they weren't having fun, it would feel more voyeuristic and exploitative to watch yeah. them have sex like this. Yeah,
0: definitely. And and like uh, Sarah Waters, the author of Fingersmith, says about the movie Though ironically, the film is a story told by a man. It's still very faithful to the idea that the women are appropriating a very male pornographic tradition to find their own way of exploring their desires. Um, so a lot of people will criticize, like for example, like the depiction of like scissoring, because a lot of people, I guess that doesn't. I mean, I'm, as a woman who's never had sex with another woman, <laughs> I guess it doesn't really happen. <laughs> yeah, but um, and I could see why. It's like you know, there are other ways to just have. It feels better.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, here's someone, uh, Laura Miller in Slate, did not like the film's sex scene. And she writes that the scenes are pure showtime after hours. Disappointingly boilerplate. And she says he relies on cliches of pornographic lesbianism.
0: Yeah. But I guess, I mean... Like we sort of said, like Hideko's just been raised on these cliches. So yeah. the fact that she wants to like try them out for herself with someone that she's like actually attracted to and mm-hmm. like feels safe with. Yeah. She should be able to do that.
1: It's funny because of how the movie is structured into three acts. You sometimes see the same scene over again, but with different context. And so mm-hmm. Suki thinks that she's like teaching Hideko about sex. And then yeah. she says to her, like, wow, you're a natural. Like, you, you know, uh, <laughs> after we, the audience, see that she's had this kind of crazy upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a writer in Bitch Media named Lee Xian Go. Uh, writes she kind of gets at what I love about the movie which is it's deeply genuine and compassionate story about damaged individuals and the salvation they find in each other um it would be wrong to say that the protagonists don't cross each other yet the heart of Kim Minhee and Kim Trey Ree's chemistry with each other is silly earnest and you come to realize besotted um so those are the two actresses names and they're incredible their chemistry yeah. is like
0: fuego yeah it's so good and it and you know I, it's like Chloe Sevigny said the same that's what she was like aiming for it. and Lizzie no. like and it just didn't work
1: yeah and like I was saying earlier you get a sense that they're complementary to each other I was reading an interview where the actresses were kind of compared to a uh, elegant white cat and a puppy and that's like their total vibe and mm-hmm. why they're so much fun to watch together mm-hmm. whereas like Kristen Stewart and Chloe Sevigny were like two cats and you were like why would these cats even like each other yeah. uh, <laughs> they don't even want to be in the same room yeah. um but they have so much fun together, it seems. Um, yeah. And I loved the scene where they're running through the field, laughing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, apparently how the beautiful. Fingersmith
0: novel ends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved when they're reunited again after they were separated because of their scheming. Um, mm-hmm. So they're separated and they reunite. But, like, Suki just like jumps and pounces on Hidako and it's just so cute and then there's another part where um, Suki is like talking to the count but they have these like sliding paper doors like they based on like I think they're in Japan actually at this point Um, but he she opens the door and starts making out with Hidako like just her head is poking through the door and they're making out and then she has to like push you to go off of her and talk to the count again.
1: Um so this movie had even better one star reviews than Lizzie, which is so annoying because this movie is vastly superior to that film. Yeah. <laughs> um but here's one that I found. Uh here's the first review, also from Amazon. Amazon totally different vibe than the IMDB reviews.
0: Very Possibly... different. like funnier kind of
1: funnier almost like creepier too uh which is weirder because i get like sometimes people's like real names attached to their review where they're like these dumb whores (laughs) um this person said this may have had great dramatic moments but there was way too much sex in it it wasn't even softcore porn this crap rivaled hardcore porn at times which no it doesn't (laughs) just so everyone knows no and for all the people calling it art if the sex scenes weren't there at all i hardly believe that this film would have had such rave reviews two horrors on display now I'm good for nothing but more of the same. The crap is the Scrooge that is damning the very core of humanity. what belongs in the bedroom or kitchen table backseat etc should stay there and does not belong in film sex made this film all else is forgettable <laughs> this person was very turned on by this movie <laughs> I can't believe and angry that. It's like, and angry they,
0: they, yeah this is another good one. Yeah. Dirty man who cannot deliver the quote-unquote job of being a man. Two girls with metal balls, bells, <laughs> with metal bells to satisfy each other? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Weird! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation I,
1: point. I don't get what deliver, dirty man who cannot deliver the job of being a man means.
0: I don't know. It's about I the know. uncle it's
1: about Count Is it's about Park Chan Like,
0: I don't, I don't it's understand. It's unclear. Yeah, unclear. it doesn't make sense.
1: This is one that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> It was just said, subtitles, dot, 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 not a fan.
0: I cannot believe how many people in the year of our Lord, 2019, say subtitles. They don't want to read. They don't yeah, want to read. are not. They're like, oh, it has subtitles, can't watch I it. will admit something
1: that's painful is that sometimes it's hard for me to watch a subtitle movie because I want to look at my phone, which sucks. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. You know? Um, mm-hmm. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. There's no excuse at all. At all. And like, it's like this movie was uh, absorbing enough that obviously I wasn't like looking at my phone, but... Yeah yeah wow love this movie so happy we watched it mm-hmm. um kind of puts lizzie to shame would have still been interesting apparently park Wook and uh his uh ooh, let me just make sure i have her name correct this movie was co-written with seo kyung jung uh, who worked on park Wook with the screenplay they apparently consulted one of her friends who is a queer woman would have been great obviously to see a queer woman Involved with the actual production mm-hmm. of this film. Yeah. Um. I after right after watching this movie, this is how you know you've seen a good film. I googled <laughs> Handmaiden fan art.
0: <laughs> Bridget, I like, uh, can Nos. I just say, if what? you ever read A Court of Thorn and Roses, I can send you the best fan art. Maybe I should send it to you. Like, ahead just of send time. it to me. Yeah, send
1: it to me ahead of time. And then it'll get, get me excited. Heist. <laughs>
0: um, Actually, I'm gonna
1: rate it. this movie an eight. I loved it.
0: Um, I'm gonna rate it like a nine and a half.
1: In half. yeah i just love it so real. much it's and really, i like really
0: it like more every time i've seen it so i feel yeah, like that's it has everything yeah
1: romance comedy beautiful things to look at yeah um it's such a great period piece too like it's just totally mm-hmm. so sumptuous to yes die. <laughs> <laughs> anyway what a nice high note to end on yeah <laughs> that's not lizzie
0: yeah <laughs> um it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at chickflixpod and email us at chickflixpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Our next episode will air on July 8th and we will be discussing summer stuff like Goonies and Stranger Things. Uh, not summer stuff. You know what I mean? It's just like summery. It is. Pop I co- it is. Summer exists. pop culture. Yeah. Teens on bikes. Yeah. <laughs> ChickFlix is researched and written by Bridget Hovel and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Timbrief Carlson for our music, and thank you for listening to ChickFlix.
0: Bye! Bye. <laughs>